This episode of the Tome Show is brought to you by our patrons. You can support the show like them at patreon.com slash the Tome Show. Welcome to the Tome Book Club for December of 2021. The Tome is a D&D news reviews and interview show, and I'm your Tome host, Tracy Hurley. And I'm Jeff Greiner. In each book, cl- book club episode, we discuss one D&D-ish related book. Spoilers be damned in full book club style. Our book this time around is A Christmas Carol in Prose Being a Ghost Story of Christmas by Charles Dickens. And with us as always is Eric Paquette. Bonjour, hello. How are you? How are you doing tonight, Eric? I'm doing fine. <laughs> Not feeling haunted. Maybe <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'll have to wait and see what happens when the clock shakes the next right. hour. Uh, and next episode, we'll re- which we'll record towards the end of February, we'll be reading *The Crystal Cave* by Mary Stewart. Uh, before we get started, I want to say thank you to our patrons that help us pay the bills. You can help us out, too, by going to patreon.com slash show and offering up as little as a dollar a month and be a patron just like all of those other lovely folks. Now on to the book. We read the book commonly known as A Christmas Carol, although I did read the entire original title uh, at the top of um, of the episode here. Um, Tracy and I tend to listen to audiobooks. Eric tends to read dead tree books. Is that, was well, in that this the case? case I, in this case, I read it through the Project Gutenberg uh, okay. e-book. So. so you read the e-book. Yeah. Uh, Tracy, did you listen to the audio? I did. I had Hugh Grant. You had Hugh Grant. That's the episode I, oh, that's the version I just finished listening to today. Um, it, it is a, like, I find the audiobooks tend to run usually, what, two and a half to three and a half hours. Uh, It's a really quick listen to. So I actually listened to five different versions of A Christmas Carol in the last like two weeks. Uh, I listened to the Hugh Grant one today. I started with, um, uh, what's his name? Oh, shoot. Now I'm going to forget it. Uh, I I listened to a couple that turned out to be like audio dramas, not the actual books. And they were revised. So um, one of which was sort of normal length. Um, and one of which was like really, really abbreviated. It was a 28 minute version of, of the book starring Sir Lawrence Olivier. Um, for me, the, the ebook version that I, on Project Gutenberg was the, had the illustrations. So, oh, Tim, Tim Curry, that's Tim Curry's the one I was thinking of. Tim Curry's the first one I listened to. And actually, I think it was the best, the better of the versions, although the Hugh Grant one was actually pretty good, too. Um, so, yeah, so I listened to two audio dramas and Tim Curry and Hugh Grant and then the, the Blackstone audiobook version, uh, which is the one that I had actually previously listened to before this book club, and I re-listened to that one as well. So, uh, so yeah, I have been... If I didn't know the story of A Christmas Carol well before, I'm never going to know it better than I currently know it. Um, and I have to say, there there are the ones where, the audio drama ones, like, 
there were some choices made in terms of how to change things and what to change and what have you. And I don't know that I always feel like they made a good choice. So it's interesting. And I, and I think Eric was saying that because he did the Project Gutenberg one, he got to see the original art. Yes. Oh, the original art. Nice. The original art in the ebook format, they scanned it at, and you can actually, when you read it, so you can actually see that art. So it's, it's nice to see. That's really cool. Yeah, and I have previously read, so I've read A Christmas Carol a bunch uh, because when I was teaching seventh grade for eight years in Raleigh, um, the language arts teacher across the hall from me that was on my team, so we had all the same students, they read it every year. And I always read it, I mean, being as short as it is, I always read it sort of in solidarity with them. So I also have a comic book graphic novel version. I used to have uh, an iPad app that had little, like, things that you can manipulate on the screen or little animations that would pop up that were kind of cool to make it interactive, which is also sort of an abridged version of the story. Um so I, I have not recently, although that app has gone away, so I, I guess it just they decided not to keep updating it. Um, but no, I have consumed this story in, in a variety of formats uh, and multiple times over the years. Uh, the one I, I, um, I notably was talking to, to Ginny Loveday, who we recently talked to for our discussion of Strixhaven, um, about... Uh, on Facebook, she and I were chatting that I, I somehow missed out on the opportunity to watch the Muppets Christmas Carol, which actually features apparently Charles Dickens as a character in the story as well. Yes. Yes. It has been, I don't know that if I've ever seen it, and if I have, it's been since I was a child, so I don't remember it. It's a early family tradition. So I've talked a lot about my experience with the Christmas Carol. <laughs> Where are the rest of you all at? Well, for me, uh, most of the time was just watching like the Muppets Christmas Carol or various other various others on TV when it played during those. This is actually my first time actually going about and reading the Christmas Carol as a book. So, so. Okay. Tracy, what about you? I know I've had to read it for school. I read it on my own many times. And then have seen many movies and other recreations of it. It was the first time I heard the audiobook. It was probably, this was the first time I ever listened to it on audio. The Hugh Grant one was pretty good, I thought. Yeah. I was a little worried that I would be thinking to myself, oh, it's Hugh Grant the whole time. And I don't know that I recognize his voice at all. I didn't recognize Tim Curry's voice either, so. Yeah, and it, I, I won't say it has no flaws, but it is one of my favorite stories, I think. Oh. There's a lot going on in it, but yeah. we can uh, yeah. talk about that. There, there were there are elements of this story, and we can we can talk about them, I guess, as we go through. But there are elements of the story that, having read or listened or watched it as many times as I have now, I'm like, I don't know why. Like, not to say that I know better than Charles Dickens. But I don't know why he made some of the choices he made, <laughs> you know, things to discuss, things to include, things to, to whatever, other than uh, he's being paid by the word. And so sometimes he would throw in some superfluous details um, just for that sake, I guess. I don't know. Well, I get, so 
there's the main story, right? The story of someone who is very Scrooge-like. Oh, it isn't Scrooge-like because he actually is Scrooge. Right. <laughs> uh, and, um, you know, just is potentially, you know, going about life, maybe not in all the right ways. Uh, and gets visited by a ghost mm-hmm. in the shape of the door knocker. And then later on uh, in his chamber. And I'm just going to... It's it's two-hour audiobook. Like, there's not much plot here. <laughs> and basically, it's like... Well, and, every, and everybody knows it, too. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, and it's, it's being tormented uh, for eternity because he valued, basically, money and business over people and does not want the same thing to happen to Ebenezer Scrooge and so warns him and warns him that uh, he will be visited three times that night by spirits to help set him on the right path or at least see the possibility that lays before him mm-hmm. if he does not change his ways. The ghosts of Christmas past, present, and future. Yet to come. Oh, yes, yeah. I suppose. And then each of those ghosts are really just vignettes of different scenes. So you actually pack the plot isn't a ton, right? But you pack a lot of detail and a lot of individual stories into the rest of the book because none of them have to go that deep. Just has to to make the points that they're trying Mm -hmm. to make, which heavily anti-capitalism spoilers. Right. Well, and there there is a degree to which, like, as much as I started off by saying, like, he made some choices I don't know that I would have made if I was the author, although I'm not near the, you know, I'm not an author, let alone the type of author that has the right to really criticize Charles Dickens. Uh, or, or if I was the editor, there are things that I would have been like, let's cut this out. But at the same time, having listened to it as many times as I have in the last few weeks, it starts to become a little mechanical. Because I'm like, okay, I know what's coming. I know the choices he made. And I start, I start analyzing it for, okay, so what is this scene doing in the story, right? I know where it's going. I know what's coming. What is the purpose of this? Uh, and he, he is really uh, deft at sort of establishing important elements of the character in very short time frame, right? Uh, you know, he, he throws in what is possibly, you know, uh, superficially unnecessary bits about the people coming asking for money for the poor or the child singing at the at the keyhole, singing Christmas carols at him through the keyhole uh, and that kind of stuff at the beginning of the of the story. But because because like that kid with the keyhole, like doesn't matter to the story, except it, it does a really good job of highlighting him as a character and how his character changes and when his character changes, right? There are these, during those vignettes as he's being visited by the spirits that Tracy talked about, there are these moments throughout where he's like, oh, I really wish I could talk to so-and-so right now. Uh, you know, and it's all these people from from the beginning. It's, it's Bob or yeah. it's Fred or it's this kid at the, at the, at the keyhole. Tracy? Yeah, and, it, and I was going to say it helps uh, give us pieces of his life that we have experienced before the ghosts even come and gives it callbacks mm-hmm. so that we, we, we also experienced and witnessed by reading those events versus having to pick individual events out of an entire life story. Right. And which would require a lot more space and time. Yeah. Eric, you look like you were going to say something. No. <laughs> okay. I mean, it is. He is very quick. At, okay. Here's the character. Here's Scrooge. He's this mm-hmm. miserly, 
individual who just doesn't spend much and just wants to keep his money and is not doesn't like people or all that or feels unloved and all that mm-hmm. and just wants to be left alone, which you need at the start because the character will the character gets a drastic life change moment right through the story. Yeah, and so he's he's visited by Marley, that that's his old partner who's the ghost, and then he's visited by the three spirits of Christmas's uh, uh, past, present, and yet to come, um, as Eric ably reminded me is the proper uh, <laughs> title for the last spirit. Uh, and, and through those, he sees um, these little vignettes that Tracy was talking about of his own past before he had sort of become so miserly and greedy. Uh, when he used to celebrate Christmas and there were good things in his life and there were friends and there were uh, romantic partners and there was a boss who, who really could have been a model for him of how to how to be a business owner who didn't neglect his workers, didn't abuse his workers. Um, we, we see the the uh, Christmas present shows him, you know, um, what's going on with Bob Cratchit and what's going on with his, uh, his nephew, Fred, um, you know, and, and then all these, these little, um, scenes like when it, when, the, when he rushes out to like the lighthouse and watches a couple of, of lighthouse workers and shows their Christmas. And, and um, uh, occasionally they do these little vignettes of people that aren't actually connected to him at all, just to sort of say, Hey, this is, this is how people do things. You know, it's all right. Uh, and then the ghost of Christmas is yet to come um, shows him um, the future and not it doesn't seem like the very distant future uh, wherein tiny Tim Bob Cratchit his employees uh, kid has died and he has died um, and it's really interesting because like it seemed to me the first few times reading it this time around like, I mean, obviously, I know that it's him that's dead, right? And and it just seemed obvious to me, like the, like the story isn't even trying to hide the fact that it's him that's dead. And then I realized in my last two, well, they're kind of trying to hide that it's him. Like Scrooge doesn't know that it's him. Is the audience supposed to realize that it's him? Because it's a little on the nose, you know. <laughs> um, and then yeah, and then he and then he wakes up and he's like, oh my gosh, I can't let those things happen. And I had forgotten who I should have been. And and I I saw the way my my life is affecting others and so I'm changing my ways and, and he celebrates and he buys a giant turkey for the Cratchits and he goes in and has Christmas dinner with his nephew and uh, and it's all happily ever after. God bless us everyone, right? Yeah. Is that more or less the story between the three of us? Did we get it all? That's more or less the story. I mean, uh, you have a little bit about Tiny Tim mm-hmm. Being being sick and thus he might die unless he's well taken care of, which requires Scrooge to possibly change his ways. Mm. I think uh, one thing I do enjoy is that it is a a flip on the ghost's relationship in stories. Usually in in a ghost story, the ghost is trying to get peace and do something to pass along. In this case, oh. they're it is Scrooge and needs to do that in order to, to live. Mm-hmm. So, so there's a switch on the typical ghost story. That you mm-hmm. say. Now that's interesting. That's interesting. Uh, uh, part of me was wondering like, this is an, this is an interesting choice for us to look, to read. 
other than uh, we know it's really quick and easy to do. And it yeah. has these fantasy elements. But there was a part of me that's like, I don't know how much I connect Victorian Charles Dickens sort of storytelling to to my life as a, as a gamer, right? Uh, but that does raise an interesting option of um, maybe you have the ghosts that appear that aren't, you know, help me put my spirit to rest, but instead um, become the NPCs that are aiming to help the, the characters find some sort of redemption. Uh, there's a wonderful, wonderful cooperative board game called uh, uh, Mysterium. Oh, mm-hmm. Where in it, one of the players, one of the players plays a ghost mm-hmm. that uh, has been murdered and is asking the others to solve their murder. Just a problem in the game. The ghost can only speak in imagery, but you can still have in the game, in the ending game, you can have that ghost. It's still the resolution on that, but they're trying to help mm-hmm. the players. They might not be able to communicate what they, what exactly what they saw, but they could give out imagery. They could get hints and stuff like that, but they're still trying to help. Well, and and so. the fact that they are that they are ghosts trying to help a character on a sort of redemption story then makes me want to very specifically integrate this idea into Descent into Avernus, which is a a, 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 a Watsi published fifth edition campaign that is about redemption. It is it is a redemption story. Uh, and so it would be interesting to throw in, um, even if they're not spirits, some, or, although they could be, you're right, you're running around in hell, they could be actual uh, uh, souls that have been, you know, condemned to hell trying to work their way out or whatever. Um, yeah. They're trying to seek their redemption by helping others gain their, you know, theirs and whatever, right? They, it's just sort of, you could layer that a lot into Avernus with that concept. And I went on DMs Guild to see earlier about if there's any other D&D stuff that is inspired because it's public domain. So and I did find four of them. One of them, which when I when I read about it, it made, it made sense to me. A Domain of Dread said inspired. Oh, sure. So to me, that made that made and, sense. And there are there are, I guess there were. I'd have to think back to what's in Van Richten's, but there were domains of dread that were very Victorian in there. I mean, the horror genre that that started Ravenloft, right, with Barovia uh, and, yeah. and several of the others are steeped in Victorian horror. Yeah. Um, you know, we also have what the 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 what were like the Frankenstein's monster sort of character or, or domain yeah. that has that sort of stuff going on and. Um, yeah, so there's there are there's a lot of Victorian horror built into Ravenloft. You could definitely pull some ideas from there. Another way to consider looking at it is uh, murder hobos, because how different are murder hobos compared to dear old Scrooge? Mm-hmm. Uh, and potentially visiting uh, the characters that are doing that yeah. uh, could be interesting. Because one of the, the things to me is that it succinctly... Like, I, I get that it's an argument with itself, right? So it's not like he's actually convincing a real-life human named Scrooge about the, the errors of his ways. But uh, he that is what he is trying to do, is over the course of the thing, yeah. through um, 
through by and large Scrooge's own memories and then the connections he has to other people that get reignited by looking at old memories walk through what is actually happening to those people like mm. making it not just about Scrooge and his own anger and uh, fear and betrayal and all those emotions. It's like, what are, what is the actual ramifications of what you're doing to other people and let you see them, which could be interesting way to potentially deal with murder hobos. Yeah. I'd, I'd actually, when I was thinking about it um, during a few of my reads um, and thinking about, okay, how does this relate to D and D? What, what inspiration can I pull from uh, for D and D? And it occurred to me, I think, I was I started off thinking about it wrong. Like at first, I was like, "Well, you could use it," and 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 that's sort of where we've been talking. And I think it actually works this way: having the the spirits as NPCs and and working on redemption or changing their ways from murder hoboism, um, uh, etc. Um, I think works really well. And then it occurred to me, you know, what would be a fun adventure? The PCs are the spirits. They're not Scrooge. They're they're the spirits, and they're pulling this crazy heist. And that's why the ghost uh, or the spirit of of Christmas is yet to come doesn't talk because it's actually one of the the same characters from their earlier one, and they don't want to reveal their voice, uh, you know, because other PCs have to be in the background, like pulling off the the, the yeah. spells or the illusions or whatever to to make the whole thing you know work. Yeah. So, well, uh, one of the ideas, but also when I was reading it about it too, is that. Uh, in Planescape, which also the city of Seagull is very Victorian, but mm. Planescape, uh, if a character causes threat to Seagull, the, the Lady of Pain will create a dungeon around them and l- launch them off into the astral plane. The, you the can mazes, yeah. Mm-hmm. Those prisoners. Yeah. So what a mission could be, you have someone who's in the prison, their goal is to go in there and free them somehow, but in order to free them, they have to make them change their ways. Change their ways. That could work, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I also considered, you know, Scrooge himself might be an interesting NPC to run into in a game. Like, part of me is like, you know, as a a DM, you you build libraries of NPCs in your head, and you, you know, for internal consistency, you may have, like, oh, this character is, is... this this movie actor or you know or this character is james bond or this character is whatever right uh you could absolutely be like oh this character is scrooge before the haunting and this character is scrooge after the haunting just to sort of maintain that level of internal consistency right um that you've got these npcs now that have these stories and they may never come into play in the game but having that level of internal consistency uh, and that level of inspiration at least helps me as a DM have characters and have a game world that feels a little bit more alive. There's definitely a lot of having a living world in that book. Mm-hmm. Even things like um, when, how oh, I forget her name right now, but the person that he was like engaged to, the mm-hmm. woman, uh, her later husband comes home and is like, you'll never guess who I saw today. Mm. And it was right after his, uh, after Marley died. And uh, right. he just, and they're just like, they're kind of laughing like, Hey, these were not him. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think, 
as I think about this story and I think about it from the perspective, okay, so if I'm running this game, there are things like where, where we were mentioning before, he tends to get a little extra, a little superfluous, superfluous on occasion. There are elements that I think uh, maybe work on a literary sense. Um, but it took me, I probably had to listen to the, listen or read to this book in various incarnations, I don't know, five or six times before I could figure out like why he does some of the weird things with time, right? Um, obviously time is a theme and, and you know, we got past, present and, and yet to come, but then like Marley tells him. One spirit is going to come to you tonight. The next one's going to come to you tomorrow. The next one's going to come to you the next day, which was, and then, and then Scrooge is like shocked afterwards. Oh, they did it all in one night. It's like, well, yeah. So clearly Marley was either wrong or lying. You know, <laughs> uh, they don't show up at the times that Marley says they're going to show up. Um, you know, and, and on one hand, like there's an allegory there that I think works in, in, in literature, you know, uh, it, it's, One's today, which relative to Christmas is the past. One is the present, which is the present and uh, of Christmas Day. And one is uh, yet to come, which is the day after Christmas. So that one represents the future. Um, but of course, they don't actually... The time in between doesn't actually matter. And then they go back in time and drop him off exactly where they left him, you know. Um, which suggests that maybe he was right at the beginning and, and that there's more more gravy than grave to this whole thing, right? Uh, it could very well be that he just had a really bad dream and as a result, completely changed his life. Who knows, right? Uh, just a bit of indigestion. Right? A bit of beef. Um, some, some bad potato. And the other thing is, is like time is so interesting, particularly for... Victorians because mm. like that's just the start rate of where we really have timed time a more, a more sort I of sta standardized time where everybody you know where clocks start being more ubiqu ubiquitous and whatever right yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and so that could be interesting because like does it really matter what day they come right it doesn't because it doesn't impact the story at all, other than the the sort of allegory, right? And and, then, and that's what, and that's what I'm saying is that that's the kind of thing that if I'm running the a Christmas Carol D and D adventure, I probably leave that stuff out. You know the uh, especially you know the 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 today tomorrow the next day and it all happens in one night. I mean it works literary, Wait. but then there's also the like. Um, the ghost, the first ghost, the first spirit will come at midnight, and then he wakes up at two, or he goes. To, he didn't go to bed until two, but then when he's woken up by the spirit, it's midnight, and it's like, well, that was a weird and unnecessary time jump that doesn't really have any explanation that I can find on the internet. I searched around for it. There are some like Dickens scholars who are like, I don't know, it didn't really make sense, but here's my theory. <laughs> so. Well, another thing, so kind of like talking about. Um... A little bit about how the context, like part of the context of the story is specific to the time he wrote it, because obviously he couldn't know about our time today mm -hmm. and, 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 and what we bring to the book. Uh, the fact that bakeries, so bakeries are open at the very beginning of Christmas morning. Uh, I think at first to help, like they just sell stuff, but also 
that's where people bring their meals to help them get cooked, right. which is just completely not something most of us experience today. Because they have and, ovens and everybody else just has, you know, a fireplace or whatever. Right. And, and, and it makes sense because the ovens are probably already hot. So why waste it? And all these people have to cook and they might not even have a space big enough to cook some of the meals that they're talking right. about, like the, 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 the goose and stuff. But it was interesting in juxtaposition this, in a local uh, group from my town, uh, a bakery had uh, had uh, mentioned that they were going to be open Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, and it was like people were angry that they were going to be open mm. uh, on Christmas at all. And I would just so experience that, and then experience the book, and it's like how yeah. we just have stuff, and that wasn't all that long ago when. And and during a time period when we would think that people would be more strict about being closed on Christmas, right? You, you know, one <laughs> one would think in the Victorian era, uh, the the level of what religiosity I'm going to say that's a word uh, one would presume was much higher, um, right? You know, so I, so, I think so. It was very interesting. Yeah, yeah. So I like some of the extra words because they give us a, a, a glimpse into a different time. No, I, and I don't know that I disliked any of the extra words and, and they don't tend to take up a lot of time. And like I said, there is a degree to which there's extra words, but they deftly aren't extra. Like they tell us something about the character or his, his history or his, the changes he's going through or whatever. Um, but there's other areas where it's like, I, I don't know what the purpose was of the spirit time traveling two hours and showing up at, at midnight when Scrooge didn't go to bed until two. I don't know what the purpose of the second spirit showing up, like, what is it? Half an hour later or whatever. Uh, you know, cause it was, he was like, okay, well I'm going to stay up and I'm going to, I'm going to catch this spirit when it shows up. And then it was, you know, it was one, and then it was one fifteen, and then it was one thirty, and the spirit's still not there, you know. And, and eventually, that has, yeah, go ahead. And I know it's all theory, and you probably come across a theory like this. Is it partially just to put Scrooge into his place? I mean, that could be the the theory that I saw at least about the first spirit time jump was just was. It just sort of highlights the supernaturalness of the spirits and their ability to sort of bend time uh, and, right. and warp the natural world. Um, but I don't know. It seems to me like if you have a spirit that you know uh, constantly changes form and it wears a, a candle snuffer on its head to, to snuff out its light, um, it's pretty established. And, and taking you through time to, to see visions of your past and whatever, like the supernaturalness seems uh, – and ability to manipulate time seems already pretty well established but <laughs> and it, it 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 um the other thing one of the readings it occurred to me that that first spirit because it it's described at one point as like constantly changing shape and it has a different number of like body parts you know different number of heads and, and eyes and whatever um it felt a little um, Lovecraftian to me. Uh, it is, it is, it is an entity beyond human comprehension, and thus it is impossible to pin down what it looks like, sort of thing. You know, uh, which is not how it's ever depicted in any of the movies I've seen, anyway. Right. Uh, it, my argument is, um, 
the first spirit is a is a uh, small Lovecraftian horror from Beyond mm-hmm. the Stars. <laughs> what were you saying, Eric? Well, you know, yeah. In the movies, they don't describe. They, they don't show it as a weird, formless thing. Right. Uh, I think. Uh, I'm gonna recall for Muppets, it's a very light figure that uh, that you have as a Muppet for. I think for in in I I don't know why, but for that specific spirit, I always end up in my head going to it was the was it the Jim Carrey version, um, where it the the first spirit almost kind of looks like a candle and has a head that has a sort of a wispy sort of light to it that looks like a candle that, that matches sort of the theme of the candle snuffer um, really well. So, But it also doesn't change form, and it could have because it was completely animated. Yeah. <laughs> so. But yeah, I'm wondering if the formless shape and all that for the spirit of Christmas past was meant to represent all the, like an amalgamation of all the people who has met up with Scrooge in the past, mm-hmm. but you can't really focus on one of them because where he is right now, he has sort of forgotten about them mm-hmm. until they go back in the spots and the spirit does show. Well, and then eventually it does, it does sort of like it describes like it's, it's shapeless and it keeps changing or whatever. And then it sort of settles in on yeah. one form. And so part of me was wondering if it's not just describing Scrooge sort of acclimating to interacting with spirits, right? Uh, it has a form beyond your comprehension, and so for a moment, you were just completely freaked out out of your out of your mind about it and couldn't perceive it properly. And then we're able to sort of focus it on, and that's why none of the other spirits were like that, just because at that point he had trained himself to be able to perceive the spirits in a way that doesn't drive him crazy. But I also like the idea that the spirits are actually Lovecraftian horrors. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's another D&D adventure you could write you could do a Christmas Carol but each of the spirits is some sort of Lovecraftian horror a being from the Star Realm right and after they after they they show you visions and illusions of the things that you need to see um, you know then you have to then you have to defeat it because it's (laughs) D&D Oh gosh, how many hit points does one of those spirits have? Mm, a lot. Enough until you realize you made a mistake. But I want to, I want to bring in the the ghost of Christmas is yet to come though to my game because he's really easy to play. I, I don't have yeah. to come up with silly voices or anything. Although one of the the second non Lawrence Olivier uh, two and a half hour audible original audio drama version. They gave that spirit lines. He spoke. And I'm like, oh, I don't like that at all. <laughs> like, that's kind of like key to who this character is. Don't have him talking. He's supposed yeah. to be silent. And that's part of what freaks Scrooge out. <laughs> yeah. In the other dramas, do they, the, the, the ones that you listen that doesn't give them a voice... Do they describe what what he's doing? Or yeah, so the the other audio, both audio dramas lean very heavily on there being a narrator, okay, um, and that sort of describes and sets the scene and, and whatever. It just sort of like it does things like um, there's the scene where Bob Cratchit's wife it goes and gets the pudding, um, and 
she was very worried about too much flour or uh, it wouldn't have cooked thoroughly or even somebody, I think it described somebody that she was worried that somebody may have jumped into the backyard and stolen the pudding out of the copper. Um, but in the audible original audio drama version, it, all of those lines were like given to kids. Oh, what if this happened? What if that happened? Oh, no, no, it'll be fine. You know, mom just sort of, mom goes from being the one that's worried about it to being the one like, no, 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 it'll be okay. So it's a bit of a twist on, on, on the story. It changes some of the dynamics a little bit. Um, but I think it's because, you know, they have all these actors they've hired to play these parts. We, we better give yep. them lines. So, yep. so it's, it's kind of interesting because I've been watching, um, there's a YouTube channel, I think it's called James Townsend's. It's, they do 18th century cooking. And one of the ones they did was plum pudding. And like, what is that actually? Mm. Uh, and it's, not actually the fruit plums but i think usually raisins and stuff like that and talking about how they cooked it and i was having now known that i was totally with uh mrs cratchit like wow if that goes wrong that's a big deal Uh (laughs) and of course it's it's a very sort of victorian england idea of a pudding too it's not what we as as americans think of as as puddings it's a British. It's a British Christmas pudding, which is more like a what we would call as a fruit cake. Right, right, right. And it is ubiquitous in terms of like everyone from the rich to the poor tends to have it on their table for Christmas. Like it is the mm. quintessential thing, iconic thing for Christmas. So if it does not, it does not appear. It is not Christmas. <laughs> Fred points out that pudding is just a word for dessert. Apparently. Mm. Oh. Uh, been watching a lot of a YouTube series, uh, YouTube channel called uh, Sorted, where they they're British folks and they do actually cooking. And so I've seen what the Christmas pudding right, right, right. is and all that. So to me, it was like, oh, okay, <laughs> that's what it was. Big deal. Yeah. Well, anybody else have other thoughts uh, or or bits of inspiration you're pulling from a Christmas Carol? There are sometimes inter- thing, things about the female characters that I'm not as excited about. Sure. But, like, Mrs. Cratchit is all ready to give it right in to him. <laughs> and did, in, like, when he was overhearing mm-hmm. it, like, she did not hold back there. Right. Uh, yeah, that, you're talking about when when uh, Bob was all, uh, you know, uh, what was it, toasting to, to Scrooge's health or whatever. She's like, ugh. Do we have to? Like, let's not. <laughs> yeah. You are underpaid and undervalued as an employee, but you seem to think you can go nowhere else. And so, no, I am not going to, like, be overly thankful to a dude, but okay, fine. If you really feel like you need to, we'll do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah no, and, and it's, I mean, we're reading a Victorian story from Charles Dickens. I did not anticipate that this would be a, a great tale of feminism, right? Um it's a, it's a, also, it's a, wasn't terrible. But <laughs> yeah, but at the same time, it wasn't terrible. There was a, a little. What is it? The the whole um, topper at Fred's party chasing the one sister, the plump sister, um, sort of bit. And it's like, well, the the story is told in such a way of like, oh, it's just young, sort of flirtatious love. But we don't actually know that she's into it because she is actively trying to get away from him during the the blind man's buff game you know so um right 
there, there, there may be some issues uh, with some of those things, right? But yeah, no, I mean, it's not terrible, but it's largely not terrible because I guess women don't play any major characters. There aren't major characters that are women other than, well, even his love interest, I would argue, was, is, has a huge impact, but isn't really a major character, doesn't show up much. Well, other than the the spirits and well, she appears a f- well, yeah, she does appear a few times because there's the obviously the time when they break up, or and there's right. like a few scenes leading up to that. And the sister, uh, and then there's the uh, when her husband sees him. Right. Yeah. So I mean, yeah. No, they pop. She pops up a few times. Uh, Bob Cratchit's wife pops up a few times. The sister pops up a few times or is mentioned at least shows up once and is mentioned later on because that's um, Fred's mother. Um, There's mention of Fred's wife and and she appears a few times. Um, Well, once in the Christmas present vignette and then once at the end when it's actual Christmas and, and it, Scrooge changes it by showing up at the party. And she's in the uh, Christmas yet to come, too, when he asks, I think, when he asks for, uh, is there any anyone think like, any reaction, emotional bond to this person that died, and they first show, isn't it first Fred gets the money? Or am I misremembering? They might have, there might have been a scene there with Fred, and then then it goes to the random couple that are just happy that the guy that they owe money to is dead. Right. Okay. So um, maybe that's the one that I'm thinking of and just got confused. Yeah. Um, and, and, the, and yeah, and there's also, I mean, when he sees in the Christmas is yet to come, he sees the, um, the people he kind of used to know and the business people that he interacted with. Um, there's no women in that. But when it comes to the people selling all of his stuff uh, that, they, yes. that they looted, um, there is a woman prominently displayed there who and, and there is a little bit of a, of a commentary, uh, social commentary on, on the role of women, I guess, in that scene, because there, there's like she's like, well, I was the first one here. I don't have any struggle showing people what I found or whatever, um, you know, and, but then they made her go last anyway. <laughs> Right, and she had taken the the bed curtains. Right, and was it his sheets or blankets? His sheets and his um, shirt and his yeah, his clothes that he was going to be buried in. They took it right off his body. Right, and I guess there was another. The I guess maybe two of the three of those people selling stuff were women. I can't remember. There was the Undertaker's man, the laundress, but this I feel like the second one was the one. That he said, you know, um, you know, the the pawn broker basically the was was oh well, I'll give you this for it, and and I'm really being more generous than I should. And, you know, women are were always my weakness. I always give give them too much or whatever. Yep. Uh, but then it was also the last one was was a woman, so maybe it was two women um, and the the Undertaker's man. All right. Any other uh, thoughts on a Christmas Carol? It's a short book. We'll make it a slightly shorter episode, 45 minutes in. That's not too short. <laughs> so, All right, then I go ahead. guess we're going to go ahead and call that the end of this episode. It is time to say goodbye, so I want to say thanks to our patrons at patreon.com slash thetomeshow. If you'd like to contact us, you can email us thetomeshow at gmail.com. 
Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Sarah Dark Magic. That's Sarah with an H. And at SarahDarkMagic.com. You can find Jeff at, at Squatch, S-Q-U-A-C-H. Eric, where can find folks find you? You can find me on Twitter at Eric Empath, E-R-I-C-M-P-A-Q. The show is at The Tome Show. You can find us on Facebook, Patreon, and Discord. Watch us live as we record the episode on twitch.tv slash tomeshow, or watch the video after the fact on the Tome Show's YouTube channel. Show notes and other great shows at thetomeshow.com. And that's our thoughts on A Christmas Carol, in prose, being a ghost story of Christmas. Next up for February, we are reading The Crystal Cave by Mary Stewart, because I don't know that we've read any Arthurian stories yet. Until then, keep turning the page, Tomites. I'm on the wall.